Well, good morning. It's great to uh, be with you this morning. Um, and uh, my, my hope is that uh, what I've prepared this morning uh, would be helpful and encouraging to you in your own journey uh, with God and uh, your own experience of, uh, of where you're at. Um, so just so that you're aware, um, I kind of struggled with this morning's uh, message in this sense, trying to work out what to call it. Um, so I want to um, do something out of Acts 10, um, which I'll get to in just a moment. Um, and so my boring kind of theme was, you know, what happens when God acts outside of the box? Um, but I landed on the theme of playing jazz with God. Um, and uh, so that's where I've landed. Uh, and I'll explain that as we go along, or hopefully uh, anyway, as we go along uh, this morning. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, read... Uh, the passage. So our passage is Acts chapter 10. It's a really large passage, um, but I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read it in sort of three uh, sections. Um, if the story is familiar to you, you'll know where this is going to go. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the idea is uh, that there's a bit of tension that's built in uh, to the story. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I love uh, kind of movies that carry a sense of uh, they engage us not just with our heads but also with us. And you kind of feel the tension of a story that's developing and you're not quite sure where the story's going. Um, for those of us within the, the Christian tradition, of course, we, um, we, when we're familiar with the story of the Bible, we, we know where these things go and sometimes we can forget of what it was like for those who were experiencing this for the first time. So what I'd like you to do is maybe just kind of pause your assumptions if you know the story, just pretend that you don't for a little bit and enter into maybe the tension of what the story might be bringing for us uh, this morning. So I want to read the story, pause in a couple of, in three spaces, make a couple of observations and then kind of pictorial images, um, which is where jazz will come in. So if you've got your Bibles, um, if you turn to Acts chapter 10, uh, I'm going to read the first six verses and then I'm going to pause and then read the others. So imagine this if you like. Um, it's uh, like a three-part TV series. So it's Sunday night and um, you're sitting down with your Tim Tams on one side, cup of coffee on the other side. It's Channel 10, it's 8.30, TV's on and this is the first episode of a three-part episode that we're going to watch if you do that sort of stuff. Whatever. Anyway, Acts chapter 10, let's begin. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back an, a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now let's just pause there and uh, let's just take a couple of minutes just to think through happening in this part of the story. So we're introduced to a man called Cornelius. Now, if, you, um, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're reading this for the first time, 
One of the things that we realise about Cornelius is that he's actually someone who stands outside of the Jewish tradition. So for those who were hearing this story, who were steeped within a Jewish way of thinking, already at this particular point in the story, there's a sense in which the writer is saying, let's just stop and pause right here. And the pausing is actually around Cornelius who works for, uh, who's a part of the Italian regiment, which actually means he's a part of the enemy state, if you like, the Romans who are actually occupying um, Israel at that particular. And so there's a core assumption that we would be having, and that is that we would not be expecting Cornelius, who actually represents the Roman army in a garrison city, to actually be someone who might be leaning towards or warm towards. In fact, we discover that um, Cornelius is this man who um, is God-fearing and he does things like he offers uh, money to the poor, he prays to God regularly, and the surprise is that God actually listens. You wouldn't have expected that story to kind of happen in this particular way. And so when he prays one day, God speaks to him, an angel speaks to him, and then we hear about this invitation for him to offer to Simon, or Peter, who is going to be at Simon the Tanner's house, to come back to his place. So we're surprised. We're surprised that uh, Cornelius is actually heard by God, and we're surprised that God has actually caught his attention. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that surprises me about this particular story is that sometimes we have an assumption about where God is at work and where we we assume for him to be working in certain places and we assume that he is not working in other places. We have a a neighbour next to us. Um, we have two neighbours actually, in fact we've got a few others but um, one, uh, the, the, the fellow who lives to the right of us if we're looking down the hill, um, is always a really curious kind of character in so many ways. Um, he's the one who would drop off um, uh, screeds of paper about why we shouldn't have a safety meter put in by the electrical department, by the uh, the power people because you know there was a conspiracy theory going on. And So he's an interesting fellow and um, other stuff happens in the neighbourhood and he's the one who's actually saying, Michael, we need to be really careful of, you know, dot, dot, dot. So I have this assumption that my neighbour, and I sometimes say this to him, because um, he reminds me of uh, one of the fellows from, uh, remember Pack to the Rafters? Um, and uh, the Pack to the Rafters. And um, anyway, it reminds me of Carbo. Um, and, uh, and I often sort of say to him, ah, oh, Danny, you just remind me of Carbo so much. We kind of get on pretty well. But at the same time, I always have this sense of, actually, God wouldn't really be at work. Because he's just weird, like he's just a bit, a bit sort of strange, and um, and sometimes, uh, some time ago, we were chatting about uh, what we do and where we live, and not as much in terms of, and uh, and his 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 reminder to me was, um, I'd be interested in what you have with church. He comes out of a Greek Orthodox background, um, and has a story out of that Greek, and the reminder for me was, I had kind of written Danny off in terms of he wouldn't really be interested. So for me, as I read the Cornelius story, I'm actually reading a story that is a reminder of where we assume God to be and not assume God. And actually to be open to the surprise, those assumptions might actually be. And so the first episode 
concludes. It's uh, Sunday night, we go to bed, we go to work on Monday morning, we come back and then we're back on Monday night wondering how this story is going to unfold and we sit down uh, for the second episode of this TV show and so we pick the story up from verse uh, 9. And so we're now in a different part of the story. It's Peter's vision. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being brought down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God had. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. That's the second story. It continues a little bit on where the people that, uh, that uh, from Cornelius' house, they then knock on the door and they invite Peter to come with him to Cornelius' house. But it's at this point that I think it's really um, kind of helpful for us to stop and pause. You could almost sort of describe this particular story as be careful what you because you just might get it. Peter is praying. We're not quite sure what he's praying. But there is this sheet that comes down from heaven and all those foods on it were those foods that in Peter's tradition were actually ceremonially un. From a child, Peter had grown up within a tradition that says you can eat this, but you can't eat that. You can do this, but you can't do that. You do this and you remain holy to the Lord. You do that and you become unclean. And so as this food comes down, Peter completely understands that all of that food is the very stuff that he should not touch because it will actually make him un. And in the process of that, God three times says to Peter, what I have declared clean, you are not to call unclean. So you can imagine that at this particular point, um, everything that Peter has learnt as a child He has to kind of reconfigure in his head. And if he actually dares to believe that what he's hearing in the vision is right, at this particular point, everything in his world will change from this point on. Nothing will actually be the same again if he actually believes what he believes God has said to him at this time. If you believe this, everything changes from this time on. If you believe this, then the kind of um, uh, way in which you thought about holiness, which is actually about keeping yourself separate and removed, which now becomes entering into the very things that were once declared to be. That's a really different posture for Peter to engage at this point. And if he engages in this, then he needs to realise that um, it's one of those moments where others will not understand. Uh, He'll have to try and explain what's happened. His life will actually take a really different... And so we feel the tension that Peter's in. We're not quite sure how all these dots are going to join, but we understand that that's the dynamic that he is living. And then it's the end of the second episode and uh, we go to work on Tuesday morning, we come back for Tuesday night and then we're back ready to watch the third episode and then we kind of see the pieces come together. 
um, from uh, where we finished uh, previously. Um, I'm going to pick the story up again uh, from verse 34. And so what's happened at this point is that Peter and Cornelius have now met. And if you could like, it's like, um, you know, he would have probably begin to sort of feel like the, the dots were getting joined, all the pieces were falling into place. And then Peter says these words. He says, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do. You know the message that God sent to the people, announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under, because God was with him. We are witness of everything he did in the country. Of they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the on the third day. And he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that as judge of the All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins it's an amazing piece because Peter at this point finally realises that the, the blanket that comes down from heaven is not about the food, it's about something else. And then he realises that there's a story that's actually been unfolding in Cornelius's life that he was completely oblivious to and now he's actually invited into that space where those stories begin to intersect and there's a whole new meaning that is created out of it. This actually becomes the reminder for Peter that this is the energy for the church as she moves forward from this point on of bringing people together who ordinarily would never find a place of connection and belonging but all of a sudden now do because there is this new dynamic that is at work within the world. I remember when I first uh, came into the my background is that I'm I grew up within a Dutch migrant family and uh, mum and dad were Dutch migrants in the 50s and we were a part of the Christian Reformed Church and I was there in my early 50s and uh, and then uh, joined uh, Churches of Christ which is uh, uh, my, ch- my new uh, church family. But I can remember in the early days um, having a look through one of the uh, the hymn books, as you do. Um, but I was actually sitting in, in one of our services and uh, just picked up the hymn book and was sort of leafing my way through it. And I came across one of the hymns which had this word uh, phrase in it that caught me by uh, caught my attention, and that is that God has more light to burst forth from His word. And uh, and that phrase caught me at that time, because I and over the time now my sense is that this is one of those stories where we are reminded that there is more light to come from God's word because it actually gives us a sense of um, of possibility and a sense of uh, kind of light and uh, space to move into as the church of Jesus Christ. So when I read this story from Acts chapter ten. Um, there's a whole bunch of things for me that come together. I, there's, a re, there's a reflection in here for me around what is holiness. That holiness is not about what you stand separate from, but it's actually how you engage uh, those around. It's actually an invitation to maturity and courage. That this particular story for both Cornelius and for Peter is actually a story of two people acting in ways that are both mature and courageous 
to actually to be open to what God might be up to and to learn those new things. There was a sense for Peter in which he sensed that there was a risk in this moment and he could have said no, but he actually said yes. He worked the risk and so a new story emerged. It's also a story for me around openness, around what does it look like for someone who might represent the enemy as Cornelius did? And what does that look like for someone who might engage um, someone who's deeply steeped in the story of God? You're going to Canberra next week. What does that look like in terms of stories from two worlds coming together? What does it look like when we make assumptions about, eh, I don't think God would be very much at work in that space? And what would it look like for us to say there might actually be both a sense of risk and adventure, but if we bring those two together, what actually might that look like? Which actually brings me to the story of jazz. I have a sister-in-law who is a... I really like uh, jazz music, but I, I never quite understood why until Cindy um, explained it to me. So her explanation goes something like, when you play jazz, um, there is a melody line which is always the same. It's played predominantly by violin, and then the others improvise around the central melody line of uh, whatever the piece of music. So when you go to a jazz concert, you might go to the same jazz concert for five nights and You'll hear the same melody line, but the improvisation will always be fresh. The improvisation will always be different. And so there'll always be a sense of maybe feeling like you've been in the same concert. And yet at the same time, you'll feel like you've been in a different concert. It was interesting. I was um, listening to the radio on, uh, I think, Thursday morning. And on the conversation hour with John Fain, there was a um, famous jazz musician who was just describing who, back in the 70s, um, was at the Con here in Melbourne. And, uh, and in the Melbourne Hall, a grand Steinway uh, piano was put in there. And, uh, and he, was, uh, um, he was a jazz musician and uh, the, whoever the kind of head person of the con at that particular time was had said, jazz will never be played on that piano. Well, apparently jazz is now played on that piano. It was interesting, David sent me, when I sent him through the, uh, the theme for um, this morning, he sent me through an article of uh, uh, businesses that actually uh, create white spaces for development using the idea of jazz. And it is actually premised around the idea of um, you have like a central melody but we get to improvise and it creates the possibilities for teamwork and for collaboration, for sense-making, for strategy. All these things that actually allow an organisation to breathe and have not just a formulaic dynamic, but actually allows us to be responsive. To It just strikes me that that's what the church is intended to be. This kind of creative, adaptive, flexible, dynamic movement of God's people where we're really clear about what... But we actually have the opportunity to, to improvise and to create new kind of relationships and new experiments, new um, experiences of the grace of God. Peter could have said no. He could have said no. And Cornelius could have said, I'm just not sure... That but here were two people who actually took a risk and allowed a new story. When I was back in local church, um, 
uh, in our last pastorate at a place called Hope in the Hills in Tacoma, one of the, uh, the phrases that I would often use as a pastor in that was to say, we are a community of the open circle. We will always leave. It's just a metaphorical um, way of talking about church because the person who would come into that empty space, my prayer would always be, would be different enough to remind us that God's family is intended to be this rich and diverse community. And as we entered into relationship with those folk um, and together became family in a new and rich way, there would be this lovely expression of what it means to be. So you, my friends, are invited through uh, this story this morning, Jazz, with God. But we need to be clear about the, the melody line that actually holds the centre. Lloyd Douglas is a author um, who uh, wrote a book called in the early 60s. He tells a wonderful story of uh, when he was a student. He used to live in a tenement house and uh, when he was uh, at, at college. And so he would come into his tenement house and uh, he would have to go up to the first floor to where his unit was. But on the ground floor, uh, he would walk past a door and the door was often ajar. And in the beginning, it was like a um, bit of a strange space because he'd see this old fellow who would be sitting um, in that room and he'd be sitting at his piano. And, uh, you know, nervously at first he would say hi and then over a period of time a conversation emerged. And for the three years while he was at college, this was the conversation that Lloyd Douglas would walk in, he'd see the door ajar, he'd stick his head through the door and he'd say to the old man who was at the piano, he'd say, hey old man, what's the news today? And the old man would often turn around and go, well, you know what it's like, you know, and he'd sort of name whatever the current affair of the day was. And then the old man would pick up his tuning fork, which he would always have on the top there, and he'd tap the tuning fork and place it down and he'd say, this Lloyd is middle C. It was yesterday. It is today, will be tomorrow. And that became the ritual of a conversation every day for the three years while he was at university. Hey, old man, what's new? He'd get the diatribe of whatever was going on in the world and he would always finish with, this, my friend, is middle C. It was yesterday, it is today, and it is, will be tomorrow. When we read Acts 10, when we read the story of God's activity as we hear that story, as it's, it's woven around this person called Jesus, born, died, resurrected, dwelling in us through his spirit, that's the story of Middle Sea. And in the middle of that, we have this rich invitation of our God who says to us, I invite you to, I invite you to uh, join with me in this mysterious and as we play and live and, and, and experience this together, be open to some of the, the fresh learnings and the, the, the discoveries that can be as a part of it. If we don't walk home with anything, maybe we walk home this morning, phrase, this, my friend, is middle C. It was yesterday, it is today, and that with that, we get to experiment and explore in the story of so what I'd like to do, I'd like to invite you to um, just take a few moments for yourself and to ask yourself, what is it that God is inviting you uh, this morning? It could be to be open to the spaces where you think God is least likely to work and to engage the question, what if God is involved in the place where I live? What if there is someone there who is already responding to God? The trouble is I don't have... Maybe for you there's a sense of maybe God speaking to you about your 
a reminder of those things that you've held on to, but maybe no longer are those symbols of what it means to be holy or separate. Maybe there's something about the risk and adventure of bringing two people together that could be you and someone else or the church and someone else. Maybe it's about Jay at Middle C. I'll leave that with you and respond.